Let us go to God in prayer. O God of light, by the power of your Holy Spirit, restore our sight, that in these words of Scripture and sermon we may see Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our first reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and then skipping ahead through verses 17 through 20. You can find it on page 950 of the Bibles in front of you. Listen for what the Spirit has to say to the church. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus. Who, why do you persecute me? Or whom you are persecuting? But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. The word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from the 21st chapter of the Gospel according to John. Verses 1 through 19, you can find it on page 945 of the Bibles in front of you. This is the third appearance to the disciples by Jesus after his resurrection. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it, because there were so many fish. 
That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and they did the same and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Let us go to God in prayer. Lord of light, we ask that you send your spirit upon us that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We ask that your spirit would rest upon us, that we may hear what you have to say to each and every one of us today. Amen. There are two giants who stand out amongst the early Christians in the first few decades, the first half a century following Jesus' resurrection. The first is Simon Peter, one of Jesus' early disciples. In many ways, Peter was the de facto leader of the early church in Jerusalem and beyond. Early 
Christian tradition maintains that Peter eventually went to Rome where he would write two of the epistles and would eventually be martyred. Roman Catholic tradition, which is unsurprisingly disputed by non-Catholic scholars, maintains that before his martyrdom, Peter was the first bishop of Rome, otherwise known as the Pope. Regardless, all agree that Peter was a central figure in the first century church and that his leadership and openness to the movement of the Holy Spirit shaped the direction of the early church. Paul, as many of you may know, was the most prolific missionary in the early church. Paul started at least 14 churches across the Roman Empire and was a prolific writer, writing letters to churches around the area, at least some of which have been preserved in our New Testament to this day. More than any other mortal man, Paul is responsible for the explosive growth of early Christian of the early church in the first century after Jesus' resurrection. Paul is also perhaps one of the most influential Christian thinkers in history, whose understanding of God, whose understanding of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ have had a more profound impact on Christian thought moving forward than perhaps any other writer. These are the giants of the first century Christian church. However, they weren't always these paragons of faithfulness and virtue. Peter was originally Simon, but was renamed Peter, which means rock in Greek, early on, as Jesus decided that Peter would be the rock upon which his church would be built. However, Peter frequently showed himself to have trouble understanding the teachings of Jesus. Peter also famously denied Jesus three times, even after swearing that he would never abandon Jesus. And while Jesus hung on the cross, Peter was nowhere to be found. Peter's story is, of course, nowhere near as shameful as Paul's. When we first meet Paul, he was known as Saul. We first see him at the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, which so energized him that he became an active persecutor of the early Christian church. Acts 8, saw, Acts 8 shows Saul dragging Christians out of their homes and throwing them in prison. Acts 9 shows Saul breathing threats and murder against the followers of Jesus Christ as he goes to the high priest so that he might actively bring the followers of Jesus Christ to Jerusalem for trial. And then this thing we call grace enters into their stories. Our reading from John finds the disciples near the Sea of Tiberias after Jesus' resurrection. Even though Jesus had appeared to them twice already, 
They appear to be attempting to get along with life as usual. Jesus' resurrection seems to have had no effect on their lives. Those who were told that they would be fishers of people find themselves once again fishing for, well, fish. They're about to give up for the day when Jesus appears before them, though they don't, they don't recognize him. The risen Jesus tells them, try your nets again. Throw them to the right. And the result is that they catch more fish than they can bear. They made their way back to the shore where they built a small charcoal file. A small charcoal fire. On which to prepare fish for breakfast. The last time we see Peter at a charcoal fire. And John's gospel is when he denied Jesus. This time, however, the story is very different. Three times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. Three times Peter responds that he does. And three times Jesus tells Peter what is required of him. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter had claimed to love Jesus from the start, however, he failed to effectively demonstrate that love through his actions. And so Jesus comes to Peter after his resurrection and asks him with love and with mercy and with grace to care for his sheep. To guide and care for the early church that will soon explode into the world around them. The Peter who is tasked with guiding and protecting the early church is the same Peter who had not that long ago fled the scene of Jesus' arrest and denied Jesus three times on the night of his crucifixion. By your standards and mine, Peter should have been at the very least chastised. Peter, however, is not disowned. Nor is he cast into the shadow for his unfaithfulness. Peter is redeemed and lifted up, not by any great act of repentance on his part, but only by the profound grace of Jesus Christ. Paul's story is in some ways similar. Paul certainly did not deserve to be called by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. By your standards or mine, Paul should have been struck down by bolts of lightning. Or at least left to linger in his hatred until it destroyed him. However, the grace of Jesus Christ took a different road. Rather than condemn this man who breathed threats and murder against the early church, Jesus struck him from his horse and changed his heart. Rather than letting Saul's own hatred devour him from the inside out, Jesus instead chose to call him to a greater purpose. That's how this grace thing works. Neither Paul, neither Peter nor Saul deserved to be called to such important work. Peter was not the bravest. 
Saul was definitely not the kindest. Neither Peter nor Saul earned the incredible gift that had been given to them by Jesus Christ by any virtue of their own. Peter had shown himself to be slow and a coward. Saul had shown himself to be vicious and cruel. Nor did they earn forgiveness through even a moderate penitential act, but by through sheer grace are they granted forgiveness. That's how this grace thing works. It is not something that is earned. It is not something that is deserved. It is in fact something that is extended to us in spite of our best efforts to keep it at bay. And this is the same grace that is extended to you and to me. We share the grace that was extended to Peter who denied Jesus. We share the same grace that was extended to Saul who persecuted the church. This is the grace of God. This is the grace of Jesus Christ. This is the grace that fights the voice in your head that says, I'm not good enough, instead saying, I love you. This is the grace that fights the voice in your head that points out how many times you've messed up and instead says, pick yourself up and try again. However, this is not what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. This is not the grace that does not ask anything from us. This is the grace extended you to you by the God who says, I have shown you how to live. I have shown you how to love. I have shown you how to treat one another. And I expect you to at least make an effort to act accordingly. Cheap grace says, your body is yours to do with as you please. God's grace says that your body is God's holy temple. Cheap grace says that you can hold your grudges. But God's grace says that we should forgive just as we have been forgiven. Cheap grace, cheap grace says love your friends and hate your enemies. God's grace says to love your enemies. Cheap grace says you can live your life however you want. God's grace says your life is mine. God's grace transformed the lives of these two giants of the early church. Rather than let them dwell in their failures and their shortcomings, God's grace transformed them and called them to be powerful and wonderful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God can transform these two, the coward and the murderer, into pillars of God's church, Imagine what God can do with you. Imagine what God can do with me. Imagine what God can do with us. Thanks be to God.